I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. Skiing. Raise your hand if you've been skiing before. Okay, that's good. Raise your hand if you've never been skiing before. Why? <laughs> I mean, you live in Utah, of all places. Oh, my goodness. I remember, uh, well, you know this, right, that skiing is like 20 minutes from here, you could be on the slope skiing. So just, just so you know, skiing's right here. Remember when I was a kid, about five years of age, um, taking a family vacation, lived in Houston at the time, so no mountains in Houston, uh, made our way over to Rio Dosa, New Mexico, uh, and Red River and some of the other places over there, and learned how to ski when I was about five years of age, and loved it. The one thing I liked about it, now I realize as an adult, as a five-year-old, when you fall, it's really short. <laughs> right? And as an adult, a little more daunting. So I understand that. I get it. I know. If you haven't skied before, it's a little tough to think to yourself about that. Uh, but I remember when we moved here in 1980, um, and we lived here for about 10 years, but in 1980, and I'm in fifth grade now, and we lived, and we were over in Sandy, and there's the mountains right there. And I was like, this is heaven. And I remember the days of seven, $7 all-day ski passes. What is it now, like 15? So, uh, yeah, you know, all right. <laughs> so in 1991 rolls around. I had moved off to college and uh, began dating, uh, dating Shelly, who is now my wife, and uh, was dating her and bring her back for spring break. And there was a retreat happening for, at Mountain View at that time when I was attending there. And uh, so there's a retreat happening and taking her there to introduce her to... My mom and dad, they were separated or divorced at the time, but introduced to my mom, uh, to, my, uh, to my dad, to the church, you know, and, and hoping that people will love Shelly because in my mind I'm going, Lord, she might be the one. Remember that like early on? You're like, is she the one? Is she the one? Quick backstory. I didn't date a whole lot in high school. In fact, I dated one girl. Her name was Kim. She might still live in the Salt Lake Valley, so I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, you know, we dated for several months. And then just felt like God was moving me on and decided that the best day to, to move on was Valentine's Day over the phone. I broke up with her. Yes, throw tomatoes at me. That's fine. I understand. Uh, yeah, not, not the greatest thing to do. Um, then I dated a girl I met in Arizona. I went down to Arizona for a while and dated uh, part of my first year of of Bible college, and uh, thinking to myself, is she the one? I mean, that was, you know, kind of the thing that's there. Is she the one? Realized she wasn't the one, um, but had already pre-planned a trip up to uh, her place, or her parents' place up in uh, Milwaukee uh, for a week long, and I got there on Christmas Eve and broke up with her on Christmas Eve. At least this one, at least this one was in person, so much better, much more honorable. And then I had another week there at her home uh, with her, and we decided to go skiing. Okay, so this is real. I'm just, this is totally real with you, everybody. 
So we go skiing, and skiing was important to me. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I skied a lot in high school when I should have been in school. I was skiing a lot. And um, so it was really important to me, and she, she kind of gave up halfway through the day, and it was really disheartening, and then I knew I made the right decision when I broke up with her. And um, so I had told Shelly about this previous experience with this former girlfriend that she gave up part the way through learning how to ski right before we go up to learn how to ski for her. So my mom was dating somebody at the time, and, and he was a ski instructor at Snowbird, and they eventually got married, which is great. Uh, but they, uh, so up there at Snowbird, Mike begins teaching Shelly how to ski. About halfway through the day, it's tough, right? And she is starting to wear down and not thinking that she wants to continue. And I gently reminded her, <laughs> okay, folks, I'm 21 years of age. You've got to forgive me, okay? And she found the motivation to make it through the rest of the day, and she loved every minute of it. Greatest experience of her life, right? And, uh, yeah, it was really sad, really bad on my part. I was horrible, horrible. However, she made it through the rest of the day, and she actually enjoyed skiing. We've been skiing a number of other times, and, and, uh, and uh, so, so excited to get uh, back up on the slopes uh, sometime. Hopefully this year. We'll see. And um, during that time... Uh, what was I encouraging her with besides the, the negative side? But I was encouraging her with, with words like, keep trying, right? Uh, you've got this just a little bit more, and I know you've got this. And she stayed on the bunny hill the whole day, and that's all I cared about, right, was because she made it through the entire day skiing. Now, for us who are parents, I think we, we, we say these same things to our little kids, right? You've got this. Just a little bit more. I know you've got this. You can do this. You remember that? Maybe you've got little kids now and they're learning how to walk or they're, they're learning how to ride, ride a bike or they're learning how to study better at school. That's always a prayer request that parents have. <laughs> and I can't think of any activity where we are experts the first time we try it. I don't know of any activity where, where that would be the case. And so my question is, why do we treat, treat prayer any differently? Right? I mean, somehow we think that we should have this figured out the, the very first time we try this thing. And yet I think we forget the simple fact that I believe we've got a God in heaven, our Father, who's saying the same thing to us about our prayer life. You've got this. You can do this. Just a little bit more. I, th that's kind of how I view my relationship with God. And he's up there in heaven cheering me on, helping me out in the spiritual disciplines of which prayer is one of those. So Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is what he says. And this is a phrase, hopefully, super easy. This is a great verse to memorize because this is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Always keep on praying. It's a very easy one to get in your heart. Always keep on praying. No matter what, always keep on praying. And then from Jesus himself in the book of Luke chapter 11, um, he begins talking to the disciples about what prayer means and how we should go about praying. And he's encouraging the disciples to pray. And this is what he says. And in our translations, sometimes we, we miss 
some nuance of Greek. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I'm actually currently in Greek right now, learning biblical Greek. Sounds really smart, <laughs> but it's really tough stuff, okay? And so I'm, I'm kind of learning this, and I'm learning this about the Greek language. And our, our uh, translation sometimes... Um, kind of make it smaller than what it should be just because we don't want too many words on the page. And so let me read this to you, and you'll be very familiar with this. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Then it says this, and many of your translations would say, For everyone who asks, receives. Right? Many translations say that. But in reality, that word asks in Greek actually adds this little parenthetical phrase, and so we threw it up there for you, and keeps on asking. This idea that it's not a one-time ask that you're, that you're giving in this moment. That there's a continuous action that happens with it. So it perhaps better should be read, For everyone who asks and keeps on asking, receives. The one who seeks and keeps on seeking, finds. And to the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Sometimes we think we just knock one time and the door is open. That's kind of when you read it a certain way, but when you know more about it, you go, oh, <laughs> there's a persistence that Jesus is bringing out when it comes to our relationship with the Father, to our relationship to the disciplines in our life, to the relationship to prayer. And to make it super clear, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. So we get in all of this, this idea that, that prayer is kind of a journey. It's something that we grow in. It's not something that uh, maybe we are expert at at the very, very beginning. And I'm thankful for that because there's a big question associated with, uh, with prayer. And this is what we're going to deal with. So over the past five weeks, we've learned a pattern of prayer through the Lord's Prayer. We've talked about how to pray in crisis. We've talked about praying, in, you know, praying for a breakthrough in our lives. And we get to this last, uh, this last week in our series, More Than Words, and this is the question we're going to try to answer. And that is, why doesn't God answer me the first time I pray? You ever asked that question before? I certainly have. God, I prayed about it once and that's enough because I've got faith. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where we fall in that category. It sounds really spiritual. So why doesn't... God always answer the first time we pray. But I think there's four points for us today, four things that God wants to see within us develop and grow and answering the question, why does God want me to persist in this prayer life? So the very first thing is praying persistently keeps me focused on God. Psalm 25, verse 15, my eyes are always looking to the Lord for help. My eyes are always looking to the Lord for help. And then the next one, Psalm 105, look to the Lord and to his strength. Seek his face always. There's that word again, always. There's a process included in this where we are to keep our focus upon God. Now, I, I'm going to talk about skiing again. I think skiing's on my mind, right? Because there's, you know, snow in the mountains ready to go. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about skiing, and they, they, reminded, uh, they were reminding me of I think a story that's pretty common for those folks who are starting out in skiing. And um, maybe you're like a green level skier. And you're like, I can handle the basic slopes, but anything beyond that I can't do. And then you've got a friend who's a really, really good skier. And they, they make this statement to you. And they say, hey, we can go to the top of this mountain and there's an easy way down. 
Anybody ever been in that situation before? There's an easy way down. And then as you're on the, the, uh, the ski lift going up there, they turn to you and go, oh, this might not be the right lift. <laughs> but I'm sure there's an easy way down and you get to the top, right? And so then you get up there and you realize immediately you're staring death in the face, <laughs> you know, right, when you're going up there. And you, you're, you're staring down at a really steep slope that is way beyond your ability and it's filled with moguls and you're like, I'm going to die. That's it. That's it. You know, like, it's done. It's done. He said he found himself in a situation like that before. And how did he get down? That was my question. How'd you get down? And this is what he described to me. He took a look on the far side of the slope, not very far down, because if you look down, fear would set in. But he looked, you know, kind of over there where there was a, a tree or some other, uh, some other object that he could ski to across the mountain relatively easily. Got over there, stayed focused on that, and then looked back across the mountain and ski very slowly across, being made fun of, by the way, all the time by the other skiers, just pointing straight down and going back and forth, back and forth. Now, what, why did he have to do that? Because he wanted to get down safely. <laughs> he wanted to get down there, but he realized he had to keep his focus on those attainable goals. He had to keep his focus on that point so that he didn't look down and see the fear. Instead, he saw that goal that he could reach. And I think for us in our prayer life, uh, when we understand that there are some mountains that we're facing, sometimes we feel like it's a mountain we have to climb, others it's like a mountain we're getting ready to fall off of. <laughs> and yet when we keep our focus upon God, what happens is we realize, God, you're leading me down a path so that I can conquer this mountain. And so, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those, those few baby steps towards you, keeping my eyes focused on John, as the case is right now. <laughs> keeping my, my eyes focused on Pastor John, because I know in order for me to take the next steps, I've got to reach that goal. And so Jesus asks us to keep our eyes on him, to be focused upon him. My eyes are always looking to the Lord for help. So it keeps me in this place of heart and mind, keeps me looking for the hand of God, the presence of God. When the world around me seems like it's crumbling, I can say, Lord, I'm going to persist in prayer and keep my focus on you. Has anybody ever done a high ropes course before? It's kind of a fun thing, especially if you're really scared of heights. It's awesome. And uh, I remember years ago, uh, I was with Pastor Jim when I was uh, working for him in, uh, in Greeley, Colorado. And I, I encouraged him to uh, participate in a high ropes course with me. One, thankfully, I had already done that he had not. <laughs> and so um, get him up on the high ropes course, and I was the one encouraging him from the ground, which is great. Come on, pastor, you got this. You can do it. One more step. He's sweating profusely, trying to make it through there, enjoying my encouragement, but at the same time realizing if he looks down, you're sure to fall. But the key to the, to the high ropes course, I think just like our prayer life, is find that focus for us in our prayer life, focus upon Christ, for him on the high ropes course, the tree at the very end of where that rope is. Because if you keep your eyes focused on that, your feet are going to follow. But if you start looking down, you're going to fall. And so we need to persist in prayer so we keep our focus on God. The second thing we have here, praying persistently teaches me about myself. When you are working on your prayer, God is working on you. I have found this to be true uh, so often. Zechariah chapter 13 says, I will test and will purify them as silver is purified by fire. I will test them as gold is tested. Then they will pray to me and I will answer them. 
testing. In school, anybody like tests in school? <laughs> Not a big fan of those sometimes, right? But I think we should never stop learning. And I think that learning is our relationship with God, our, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with ourselves, you know. Uh, so we've got this idea that there's, at least within me, there's a hunger and a curiosity for the world around me. And I want to learn. I want to take all these things and say, help me, God, learn more about who I am in you. What happens is, is that all this ties into the way we perceive the world. Experiences happen to us, goes through the filter of the things that we've already experienced, and then we form a conclusion based on all of those things working together. And so I think God wants us to learn about ourselves when we persistently pray. There's an influence happening where we are influencing God with our prayers, and absolutely God is influencing us through this same prayer. He's aligning us. He's challenging us to have right behavior matched with right belief. He's encouraging us. He reveals our motivations, reveals that heart within us. And here's a good thought for us to wrestle with. God will test me before he blesses me. God will test me before he blesses me. Blessing comes as we are made into the image of Christ, taking on his characteristics in our life. I know if I try to develop them on my own, it's not going to happen. I can have lots of great ideas and lots of great intentions, but unless I have the Spirit of Christ within me, developing the, the fruit of the Spirit and the characteristics of Christ within me, I'm going to fail every time. So as we're tested, learning about ourselves, inevitably something is brought up and can make it tough on us, but it is so necessary. I don't know how many times I've been in prayer and God you know, will just kind of uh, pierce my heart a little bit and say, Hey, Rich, that attitude you got, it's wrong. Change it. Just, and I hear the voice of, like, my mom <laughs> right in that moment. Sometimes God's voice sounds a lot like people of influence in your life, just so you know. And uh, your wives, especially husbands, that's where it shows up really loudly. Um, but, I'm, you know, that whole thing. Yes, even as a pastor, the, you know, God's speaking to me. Rich, change that attitude. W work on this. So God's always at work within our hearts. So now there are kind of some tests that are happening here with this praying persistently, and three of them in particular. Praying persistently tests my priorities. Matthew 6, 33. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what He wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. In Psalm 37, 5, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. What captures our attention? What captures our intentions? What, what captures our imaginations? Uh, in my early journals, it's amazing for me to look back on my 18 and 19 year old self and realize I had a lot of growing up to do. And my priorities were at times really skewed, even though I was attempting to follow after God as best I understood. Uh, a typical journal entry would be something like, um, you know, like a paragraph about God. And now looking back, you know, 30 years later, I'm going, man, look at you, Rich. You have all this incredible insight. That is great. One paragraph summarized like a month worth of things that God was speaking. That's great. But then what happened? Four paragraphs of girls. 
<laughs> right? And struggling with and trying to figure out how do you understand them? I have no idea. And, you know, and I saw this girl and does she like me? Because I think I like her, but I'm not real sure. You know, what's that feeling in me and all that? So you've got all that for like four paragraphs, one paragraph, uh, paragraph about God. Priorities were relatively skewed in this 18, 19 year old young man's heart. Uh, now, I can't say my, all my priorities are absolutely 100% correct all of the time, right? I mean, we, we're fighting all of that, the sin within us. We're fighting that all the time. <sighs> but he tests our priorities. There's a, uh, in that scripture verse I just read in Psalm 37, take, uh, it says, Take the light in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I think what happens is we often skew that scripture verse a certain direction. And I've been guilty of this before, and I well-meaning and things like that. Somebody will come up to you, and uh, you know they're a believer, and, and they'll say something along the lines of, I'm struggling right now, and this thing is going on, and I'm just, uh, I've been praying about it and all of that. And we stop them, and we will say the following. This is what I know about God, and God will give you the desires of your heart. You ever said that to somebody? I mean, I've totally said that before. But we miss that first part. And that first part is so necessary. Because I don't think we have a vending machine God. Right? Which is that last part of the verse. God will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, whatever my desire is, you'll give that to me? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says take delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. What does it mean to delight, to admire, appreciate, to love, to adore, to cherish, to exclaim, to relish, to savor? That's a great word coming up on Thanksgiving. <laughs> to savor the Lord, to dote on. This one also is in there. Have a hanker for. <laughs> right? I love that. I, just, I think it's great. Have a hanker for. To revel in. Does this describe your relationship with Christ. Do you truly delight yourself in the Lord? Does our relationship with the Lord define our priorities? Because what I have found is that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, um, it changes how you live. It changes how you process the, the, the circumstances of your life. It changes who you hang out with, who influences you. It changes what you laugh at. It changes the movies you go see. It changes the music you listen to. It, it changes you. So we delight ourselves in the Lord. It says He'll give us the desires of our heart. What I think happens is, is our desires change. The desires that we thought we had to begin with and thought, this is what God wants for my life, all of a sudden changes and we realize God's got something different for our lives. And we're okay with that. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here as we uh, close out. I'm just giving you hope. We've got a long way to go. Um, <laughs> praying persistently tests my maturity. Tests my maturity. How many mature people do we have in here? Nobody raises their hand. It's so funny. Nobody raises their hand. Husbands are afraid to raise their hands. I know that. Um, <laughs> praying persistently tests my maturity. 
And did you know that patience is a mark of maturity? Patience is one of those things that we are, we so, I think we desperately want patience because we recognize it as kind of this thing within us. There's an urgency and we've got to have it now, but it's the one thing we really don't want to pay the price for. It's the one thing we don't want to pray for, right? I mean, you typically don't pray for patience, right? Unless you're a doctor, I guess, but you know, you need to just allow God to work in your life to create patience through the circumstances of life. And it's a mark of maturity. And patience, I think, sometimes we struggle with it because it's in those times when patience is being created that we feel like God's not around and God's not listening to us. And yet in the middle of it, when we're praying persistently, God is uh, testing our maturity through our patience. There's a king in the Old Testament. His name is Hezekiah. And uh, he was king of Judah. Really was a great king. Did incredible things brought revival and, and kind of a, a new sense of destiny for the people of Israel. He brought about huge reformations and fought incredibly big battles and won nearly every single one. I mean, just this incredible testimony of God's goodness in an individual's life. He's at the end of his life, and uh, somebody, the author of, Second, or, uh, the author of uh, yeah, Second Chronicles is writing about Hezekiah and starts writing all these things about him, and he gets to um, he gets to this point. Have you ever thought about what you want people to say about you? Uh, you know, at your funeral, you ever, it's not a morbid thing. It's actually a really good thing to do, good exercise to do. Um, you know, and I, there are certain things that I would tell somebody. It's okay to leave that out, <laughs> right? It's okay. To, there was a time in Hezekiah's life when he made a series of poor decisions, and it really kind of wreaked some havoc on the nation. And in fact kind of made, made him angry at God, made the people of Israel angry at God, and, and it was a tough situation. And during that time, Hezekiah felt like God was removed from him. And in fact, this is what we see happen in this moment, and this is what the author is recounting, and he calls this out at the very end of Hezekiah's life, because there's something to learn here. Second Chronicles 32, 31. It says, God left Hezekiah on his own to see what he would do. Left him on his own. To see what he would do. Because God wanted to test his heart. Folks, when we are praying persistently and we feel like there's no answer for us, I think sometimes this is what's happening in that moment. God is testing our maturity. Are we willing to, to stay the course in what we know is right? even in the midst when we don't have the feels to go along with it? Are we willing to have our maturity tested? The first question we need to ask ourselves is, am I willing to let God change me instead of changing the circumstances? This is what happened in Hezekiah's life. He was changed. There was a humility that came about his life in this process. So am I willing to let God change me rather than my circumstances? We can feel as if we're on our own at, our, at, at times. And our maturity is not what we think it should be. But still we need to, to stay the course, continue to mature. Now we realize uh, maturing is not linear. In other words, it doesn't happen, I don't think, at least in my own life it hasn't happened yet, step by step by step by step. You know, this, I mature here, and then in an equal increment I mature at this age and this age. It just hasn't happened that way for me. Um, if anybody's ever had a 15-year-old son... Anybody ever have one of those? Awesome. It is, it is an incredible experience. And there are moments when your 15-year-old son, my son's 16 now, so I'm not talking about him. <laughs> and um, 
there are moments when, uh, as you know, a 15-year-old kid will make incredibly brilliant, wise decisions. And you are like, I am rubbing off on them. <laughs> this is great. This is wonderful, right? I mean, this is fantastic. And I can't believe you responded that way. And you wrote that thank you note without us telling you, or whatever it might be. And you're going, this is it. We're done with our job as parents. They have arrived. And then 15 minutes later, what were you thinking? <laughs> the PT Cruiser is not a four-wheel drive vehicle. Don't do that again, right? Maturing is not linear. There are seasons when that maturity seems to be taking leaps and bounds. And there's other times when it feels like we are so struggling with our maturing, that maturing process. But in all of this, when we pray persistently, God is growing that maturity in our lives. Romans 6.13 says, give yourselves completely to God to be tools in the hand of God, to be used for His good purposes. That to me is maturity. We say, God, use me and all my frailties and all my failures and all this. Use me, God. I'm a tool in your hands. And then finally, praying persistently tests my faith. Praying persistently tests my faith. Ultimately, the real question that we have to answer is, do I trust my feelings or do I trust my Father? Do I trust me, the one who has this incredible ability to creatively fail, or do I trust my Father in heaven who is always faithful, whose love is always enduring, whose power to forgive goes beyond anything I could ever hope for? through His Son, Jesus Christ? Will I trust Him even if His answer isn't what I had in mind? In these four statements, I think, hopefully you'll be able to hold on to these pretty simple statements. When my request is not right, God says no. That goes back to that taking delight in the Lord, right? Taking delight in Him. When my request is not right, God says no. Secondly, when I am not right, God says grow. That's having the character of Christ in our life, that maturing process within us. When I am not right, when there's something just askew and amiss in my own life, God says to grow. When the timing is not right, God says slow. <laughs> I certainly have gotten ahead of God in many things in my life. And God says, slow down, Rich. When the timing is not right, God says slow. And finally, it's a little bit longer here. I might have to write down on a couple of lines there. When my request and my character and the timing are all lined up, God says go. I really like that. When my request and my character and the timing are all lined up, God says go. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Always keep on praying. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. If we don't get discouraged and give up. There are circumstances in our life where it's super easy to get discouraged and to give up. But what if it 
was that God wanted us to persevere and persist in prayer. What would it be if God says, don't give up and from the sidelines, just like those parents, don't give up just a little bit more. I've got this. I want to turn your attention to the screens and listen to the story of persistence. I think God's going to touch your heart. Hi, my name is Lisa Sykes, and here's this is my story. I'm a recovered addict. I've been sober for 10 years, and I had, was blessed with a lung transplant. I... Uh, Developed a relationship with Jesus, um, the best the best relationship I ever could have had. One year we had some bad air here, and my lungs usually came back up. But this the, the time that this happened is it wouldn't they wouldn't come back up. So she had she had been my doctor for 15 years as, as well, and um, she says I would feel bad if we didn't try to get you on a lung transplant. And I said, oh, well, I'm content. God's keeping me. You know, God has a perfect plan. The first call I got, I was sitting in uh, my friend's car. And they called me. They said, Lisa, we got lungs. And I said, you got lungs? And, oh, my goodness, my heart started beating so fast. And my stomach tightened up. And I'm just like, and then he goes, but wait a minute. They're high-risk lungs. And I said, Oh, what does that mean? And he goes, well, this person could have been in the jail for maybe a year, and this person could potentially could have AIDS. Or, uh, and I said, oh, those aren't for me. I said, my God would never give me anything like that. And I said, because he already promised me it, but he, everything, everything that he gives me is good. So he, those aren't for me. And so they said, so you want to pass on them? Absolutely. And I kind of got down, I, I kept praying, and I said, Jesus, this is in your hands. And I had barely, from the very beginning, I had asked, I said, Lord, if you are not in it, because if you're not in it, I can't, I can't win it. I go home, and then I'm just like, I'm, I, I, I was sad, because I was like, I had got my hopes up, and then the phone rings. And then it's my, the, one of my coordinators, uh, Bill, he goes, get up here we got your lungs i said and it's i'm waiting for them to say uh but they're high risk and so he goes no get up here we got your lungs and did you notice i didn't say anything but we got your lungs and then um after surgery i, I get to icu they they just i woke up and i see my family around me and they said we're going to take this tube out because you're just so excited to talk and i said yes and um, and I was excited to get my first breath, and I, it was it was amazing. Just said, I was I wanted them to take that tube out. It was amazing sitting there, laying there, and um, I couldn't believe it. And my daughter tells me, my daughter says, "Mommy, you did it." And I said, "No, Jesus did it." Come on now. love that part in there, that first breath with the new lungs, new life. It's hers. I think some of you need a first breath when it comes to that persistent prayer in your own life. 
and say, God, I, I need a freshness in me. God, I need something new in me to help me. Because maybe I'm discouraged. Lord, I'm facing these battles. I'm facing these struggles. Lord, I need your strength. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here today. Our response today is not necessarily a coming forward kind of response. It's been the past couple of weeks. Our response today is much more, I think, a commitment across the board for us as the people of God to say, say, Lord, we will commit to praying persistently regardless of what it is, but whether it's a need I've got in my life, a need of somebody that's here at Life Church, a need in my neighborhood, at my workplace, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I'm going to commit to that kind of prayer to persist in prayer because, Lord, I want to grow. I want to put my priorities in you. And so if that's you this morning, no head bowed, no eye closed, nothing like that. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm going to commit to persistently praying whatever it is. I'm just going to persistently pray. Can you lift your hand up to the Lord? Amen. And keep them up. Everybody look around real quick. Okay, we have a whole army of people that are committing to persistently praying. So here's the deal. This gives me incredible hope and strength as a pastor looking across this incredible congregation to say, God, you are up to something, not only in individual lives, but for us as a church within our community right around the walls of this building, Lord, to open up new doors so that, God, we can reach these folks for Christ. And so why don't we together lift our hands again to him. Lord, I thank you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.